Honestly, from last week, um, we were introducing two babies, and I'm, I'm just aware, like, the responsibility and accountability of standing behind this pulpit sometimes, and I threw out there the nickname for the uh, Walls boy, whose name is Henry, and I just threw out Hammer and Hank. That's not his nickname, okay? Just because I said it. That was not a Bible verse. I wasn't opening it. That was just me, if you know me, being there. Like, it's just, that's not his nickname. If they want him to have that nickname or whatever, they can take it, but it's not his nickname. So I apologize to the walls for that. And please, don't call him Hammering Hank until he hits his first home run. And he will, because the walls love baseball, so... A lot of hope for that young young boy, Henry. Okay, I've been working on this introduction for about from Main Street to the front door this morning. I worked on the message all week, but the, uh, I was just thinking, um, in light of what we're going to talk about today, something sort of popped up on my dash while I'm driving my car, and it was one of those things that's like, you just don't ever want to see. You guys know what I'm talking about? What was that? Yeah, that check engine light came on, and I have three boys who all have their own sort of cars that also have that light come on every once in a while, because these cars, uh, they just kind of get them to from point A to point B, but the, the check engine light is that is the dreaded light that pops up and it communicates something. It sort of tells us, hey, you, you need to kind of lift the hood and check on the engine. There's, there, there might be a problem. It might not be a big problem. A lot of times it's not. Sometimes it's just like one of those sensors because we got to save the environment type of thing. And they've built these cars in such a way that these sensors need to function a certain way. But sometimes there, there really is a big problem going on. And, and you know it's a big problem, for those of you who don't know yet, is when that check engine light starts blinking. Like when it blinks, I highly recommend you take it to your mechanic as soon as you can. Or otherwise, that car is just going to say, you know what, because you're unwilling to look under the hood and pay attention to what I'm trying to tell you at this moment, I'm not going to let you drive me anymore. It just sort of shuts down. So check engine lights, they, they serve us. They get our attention. You, you can't ignore it. I know some people that sometimes will take some black tape which I don't recommend and cover it up and pretend like it's really not on. It's there for a reason. It's meant to serve so that that car you're driving will last longer and run more efficient. And I share that with you because today we have a check engine light from the Lord. This, this passage, I think, serves us well as a local church. It also serves us well as individual believers to pay attention to what's under the hood or what's in our hearts. Because I think we have a temptation at times to ignore this sin problem that we all have. All of us. 
And we have to pay attention to it at times. So let me read this passage, and then I'll pray, and then I'll jump into what I prepared for us today. So 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, we're just looking at verses 5 through 10. The Apostle John writes the following. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would accomplish your good purposes through this word. You'd soften our hearts, that we would hear what you're saying. We'd pay close attention to it. We'd come to know you better for who you really are, as you've revealed yourself to us throughout this passage. And Lord, as a result of this passage, Lord, we would live our lives in a manner worthy of the calling that you've given to us. Lord, we live in the good of the truth. And it would be evident by the things in which you call us to here in this passage. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Do not let any of us be deceived. Lord, for we want to know the truth. And we want to live out the truth. Because, Lord, you ultimately are the truth. And we want to glorify you with all that we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if someone came up to you today after church while you were eating lunch and asked you who God is, how would you answer that question? Seems like a simple question, right? But, but how would you ask it? Who, who would you tell them that God is? Right now, when you think of trying to answer that question, what, what pops into your minds? See, if you were an atheist, you would say there's no such thing as a God. If you were agnostic, you would say that there is a God, but he's kind of unknowable, so I can't really give you a good definition of who he really is. Therefore, he's kind of irrelevant. Some in our world would say that God is a loving God who accepts everyone no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what they do. He's, he's sort of just this great, big, lovable God who just loves everyone and everything in this world and everyone gets to just enjoy everything of who he is and everything he has and everybody's always just going to be forever accepted by him because he's just love. So who would you say that God is? 
Well, if you're a member of Sovereign Grace Church, hopefully you would say something like this. And this comes from our statement of faith, which is Sovereign Grace Church's statement of faith. It says the following in regards to the nature of God. There is only one true and living God who is infinite in being, power, and perfections. God is eternal, independent, and self-sufficient, having life in himself with no need for anyone or anything. He is spirit, transcendent, and invisible with no limitations or imperfections, immutable, and everywhere present with the fullness of his being. His knowledge is exhaustive, including all things actual and possible, so that nothing past, present, or future is hidden from his sight. God is not divided into parts, but his whole being includes all of his attributes. He is entirely holy, loving, wise, just, good, merciful, gracious, and truthful. Our God is the infinite fountain of being who created all things. And all things exist by him and for him. He is supremely powerful to perform all his holy and perfect will. Ruling over his creation with total dominion, righteousness, wisdom, and love. In his transcendence, God is incomprehensible. In his being and actions. Yet he reveals himself such that we may know him truly and personally. It's a pretty good definition. Uh, Just so you know, that definition probably took, Phil, what do you think, three years for us to kind of write? Not just me and Phil. This is like all of the pastors of Sovereign Grace putting this together, voting on certain things, taking things out. But this is the best we could come up with as we've written our book of church order. And it's, it's fairly new in the sense of it being ratified. Point is, all of us have an answer to this question, who God is, rolling around in our minds. It might be a little simpler than the statement of faith, but but there's something up there in your minds when you think about God. You define him in some way, and the way in which you define him or think about him is huge has major implications on how you think about yourself, how you live your life, what you think you can or cannot do. It's just, it's major in regards to how we think about him. Some might say, and one does say, and I'm going to read this quote in a second, that, that what you think about God is probably the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, wrote the following. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. 
we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So again, I ask you, who do you say that God is? Who do you believe him to be? Well, thankfully, this morning in our text, we're going to learn who he is. We're not going to learn everything about him, but the Apostle John is going to help us answer this question in a specific way. And what we're going to learn is that our God is light. He's light. And in him is no darkness at all. And what we're going to learn from this passage is that since God is light, we as his people who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ must also walk in the light. So we're going to explore this truth by looking at three points this morning. And our first point, we're just going to label it God is light. So John begins verse 5 by telling us where he gets this message about God from. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim it to you. And so what he wants us to know or what he wanted his readers to know is that what he's about to tell them is not something that he made up on his own. It's not something that he went to somebody else to find out who God might be. Instead, he got this message from Jesus personally. And he tells us that this message that he got from Christ is is not just any message, but it is a very important message about God that we must understand. This word proclaim that John uses, what it means is herald important news. Heralding of important news. Think about it. Think about it like, you know, everybody's got their phone and all of a sudden that alarm goes off. It may even happen today. It's just it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing. That alarm goes off and it gives you an alert that maybe there's a hurricane coming or here there's a tornado coming or severe weather or maybe somebody's abducted somebody and everybody's got to pay attention for this certain type of car. It's just something important. It's meant to get our attention. Everybody in the world or in this area, pay attention because, because there's some news that's really important. So what John is saying is something like that, but of far greater importance. This is the message that I heard from him. And I proclaim it to you. It's an important message that you got to hear and you have to understand. And so what is this message? Well, the message is this. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. This doesn't mean that God is in other things like love, just, wise, or gracious. John is simply drawing our attention to this one aspect of who God is for the purpose of helping us apply this to our lives and understanding who God is. He wants us to see that God is holy and he's pure in all his ways. He's perfect in all of who he is. And all 
of which he does. There's, there's zero darkness in him at all. He's perfectly 100% pure and holy. That's what he's getting at when he's talking about being light. He's just pure as all pureness could ever be. No stain of any evil present anywhere in any of his thoughts or any of his, his being. He's absolutely holy and pure. He's light, and in him is no darkness at all. David Allen, in his commentary, wrote the following. He said this, In him is no shade, no speck, or stain of moral imperfection. That's that's hard to get our minds around. I'm not going to lie to you. It, It should be hard to get your minds around because you don't know anybody else like that. Because that's not who you are. That's not who I am. That's not who your parents are. We have specks, we have shade, we have stain, and we have some moral imperfections all around us and in this room. You might not believe it, but it's true, and I'm going I'm to prove it to you in just a moment. In 1848, the poet Frederick Faber described God's purity in this way. I'm, I'm not a poetic guy. That's why I don't really preach a lot of psalms. It takes a lot of work for me. I like to preach them. It just takes a lot of work. I'm just not creative like that. I'm not very good in English, trying to get better. But I like the way he describes God's purity. Listen to this. He says, my God, how wonderful thou art. Thy majesty, how bright, how beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light. How wonderful, how beautiful the sight of thee must be. Thine endless wisdom, boundless power, and awful purity. God's purity is awful. It's beyond majestic and mesmerizing. It's highly impressive. And best of all, it is awe-inspiring. God being light, looking at our God who is 100% pure without any evil anywhere in him, it's meant to produce this, this sense of awe, this sense of reverence, this sense of worship, this sense of praise because he's perfect in all his ways, without evil and without sin. Now you may not feel this way about him, at times in your life, especially when things are difficult or when you, you are walking through something that just seems wrong. You may not feel that way about him, but he's still light. And he'll always be light because he's perfect. He's without sin, without any evil. That's who our God is. And this is not up for debate. It's just who he is. And we get to worship him. And he calls us to trust him. And I think when we think about God being light, it has some major implications. It affects the way in which we think about the world we live in. It affects the way in which we live our lives. And John's going to help us see these implications as we move into our next two points. In our second point, we learn that our fellowship with God, who is light... 
And our fellowship with one another is dependent upon us walking in the light. So verse 6, he says the following. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. There's a lot of if we say statements here in these few verses. And here he's saying if we say we have fellowship with God, if God is light and in him is no darkness at all, all, and and yet we call ourselves believers and we say that we have this right relationship with God where we're in fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, John says we lie and we do not practice the truth. Another way of saying this is if we are to have fellowship with God who is holy, then we are to be holy as God is holy. This doesn't mean that we're called to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're called to be perfect because we're not perfect people. God is the one who's perfect. But because we've been called by Christ, we're called to pick up a cross and follow Christ. We're called to live lives in the light. John is specifically drawing attention to people who say one thing through their mouths about their relationship with God, but through their actions are, are really doing the opposite. We call these people hypocrites. They talk a big game, but they fail to actually live it out. They speak of having a close relationship with God, but fail to actually deal with their own sin in their own life. Instead of being aware of their own sins, confessing their own sins, and repenting of their own sins, they're either ignoring them, making little of them, hiding them, or walking in them. I would say these are the people who are really good at seeing other people's sins but fail to see their own. These type of people, and we're talking about hypocrites here, these type of people are the ones who can show up on a Sunday morning, sometimes like this, and look the part of being a Christian, but then leave a Sunday morning experience like this and go live out their lives Monday through Saturday, really doing whatever it is they want to do with no regards for a holy God. So you say one thing, but you live a different thing. John says they're lying. They're not practicing the truth. They lie because they say that they're children of the light and followers of Jesus, but in reality they're not living in the light, nor are they actually trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their own sins Because they're not actually dealing with their own sins in the appropriate way. So you cannot walk in darkness. You cannot live in sin. You cannot hide your sin. You cannot ignore your sin. And at the same time, John says, be practicing the truth. See, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we claim to be children of the light, what he's saying is you can't practice darkness. You can't. And if you are, what you're doing is you're just giving evidence that you're not actually walking in the light. You might not actually be a child of the light because you're lying and you're not practicing the truth because the truth 
sets us free. Walking in darkness can mean committing any sin, great or small. It can mean murdering someone. I think we'd all agree with that. If we're, like, we're out there killing people, you say, man, that person is, is dark and he's walking in darkness. But, but it also means hating somebody in our hearts. It can mean committing adultery, and I think we'd all agree with that. But it can also mean lusting after someone who's not your spouse as well. It can mean blowing up and speaking harshly to somebody. And it can also mean those little quiet frustrations, which is just a different word for being angry, where we ignore someone. So instead of yelling at them, walking in darkness sometimes might mean we're just ignoring the person. It can mean lying or stealing. It can mean cheating on your homework, and it can mean, it can mean cheating on your taxes. It can mean passively not doing what God has called you to do. See, it can mean any sin, great or small, that is left alone to just sort of be there in your life and not brought out into the light. See, Jesus died for all of our sins, great and small. I told you this is a check engine thing. This is like a, Lord, help me see where this exists in my life. Because there's good news throughout this. And Jesus died for all of our sins, great and small. He's freed us from sin's power and he's enabled us to pick up a cross and to deny ourselves and to follow him. And following him here, John is trying to help us see, following him here means we, we take those sins that we want to hide, that we want to ignore, and, and we, we bring them out into the light. We don't make little of them, but instead we expose them. This is why John goes on to say in verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what we know here is that light and darkness, they, they just don't mix, do they? You can't take light and darkness and kind of put them together and then you kind of have this blah. They don't mix. You can't, you can't have both at the same time. Think about it like this. You walk into your basement, it's pitch black, and you hit the switch, and what happens? Everything that was once dark becomes light. Everywhere that light touches, the darkness absolutely flees back to somewhere else and it just becomes light. As Christians who are children of the light and have been saved by the light of the world, we're called to walk in the light. Again, we're not expected to be perfect this side of heaven, but we are expected to bring all of our imperfections, meaning all of our sin that remains in our lives, out of those dark places where we want to hide it and just, and just sort of say, here, expose it. We're going to trust God who is light, that he gave us his son Jesus, who just happens to be the light of the world, to redeem us. And when we bring it out into the light, he he transforms those things. So we're called to expose it. 
And there's more to just walking in the light than confessing our sins. Walking in the light means we, we seek to live a life of obedience to God through faith in Jesus. It means we seek to live holy and pure lives, doing the things that God has called us and created us and redeemed us to do. Things like picking up a cross, denying ourselves. Husbands loving his, your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives loving your husband, honoring, respecting him. Children obeying your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's all laid out throughout scripture. Walking in the light is, is looking at Christ, picking up our cross, following him, trusting that, that what he's redeemed us for and his word communicates to us. Doing those things is what he's called us to do. So it's not just confessing sin, it's, it's following Christ. Our relationships with one another as Christians are also sort of dependent upon us walking in the light is what John's trying to help us see here. Healthy relationships with one another are in some ways dependent upon our obedience to God. If we walk in the light, our fellowship with one another will be sweet and our relationships strong. If we walk in darkness, these relationships that we have with one another will not go very well at all. And all you have to do is just take a look at your latest conflict. Just think about how, how did that conflict go? Why was there conflict? Why did the conflict linger? I, I'm going to propose this. I'm going to propose that you're in a conflict with somebody. If you're anything like me, I'm not sharing this as if somebody doesn't know. This is what happens in my relationship. If you're in a conflict with somebody, the chances are you're probably not living the life that God has called you to live. And it could be a lot of things. It could be one, you're, you're choosing not to forgive somebody. And so instead of generously forgiving somebody as your heavenly father has forgiven you of instead you've chosen to hold their sins against them and be bitter towards them and that root of bitterness has grown and it's destroying your relationships or maybe you got angry at somebody instead of loving them and overlooking their sin you decided to be angry at them because you're sort of self-righteous and and again this is me talking to myself here and thinking through my own life that you've decided to be self-righteous toward them and you think i can't believe they would do that to me and so instead of overlooking and coming alongside and praying for an enemy luke chapter 6 you've decided to be arrogant and proud towards them and the conflict just continues. You see how this works? Fellowship that we have with one another was purchased by the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed. And what John's trying to get at here is when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But when we walk in darkness, that fellowship sort of gets broken. So, what do you think we should do when we get in conflict with one another? What do you think we should do when we look at our relationships that we have with one another? I propose we ask ourselves, am I walking in the light? Or am I walking in darkness? 
See, our fellowship with one another will be affected by the way in which we seek to either honor the Lord or run from the Lord. But there's good news here. Walking in the light, exposing all the darkness of the sin that remains in our hearts and lives, it doesn't condemn us. No, instead, John tells us that that when we walk in the light, it cleanses us of our sin by the blood of Jesus. This is such good news. Every single sin we commit that is brought out into the light is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. See, our sins make us unworthy of fellowship with God, but the blood of Jesus washes us clean, making us worthy and holy before God. It's freeing. You see, there's tension here. I know there's tension here because when we sin, there's, there's this temptation that comes with it. This temptation of guilt, this temptation of feeling ashamed, this temptation of if people really knew this about me, they're not going to accept me. Therefore, there's this temptation to do what with our sin? Keep it hidden. But what John's doing here is he's trying to encourage us. God is light. And in him is no darkness. And if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have these sweet relationships with one another. And we have the assurance that our sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus. That there's, there's forgiveness. It's almost like there's this, this subtle appeal just saying, quit hiding. Quit hiding your sin. Quit walking in darkness. Bring it out into the light. Trust God who is light. That it's actually a good thing. It's actually an evidence of God's grace where when you do this, guess what? You receive more grace. It's good news. And I think it takes a lot of humility. And I would encourage us on the other side of this Parents especially, because you're dealing with kids who are immature at best in regards to their faith. That when they step out and they share sin with you, I would encourage you to see it like this. It doesn't mean we make room for our kids to do whatever it is they want to do, but it's just God's grace in their life. It's what God wants them to do. He wants them to come to you and say, Mom and Dad, I've been hiding this and I don't want to hide anymore because I feel guilty about this. Will you forgive me for this? It's hard. I know it. I'm a dad. But what John's saying here is when we do this, we're forgiven. And we have sweet fellowship with others. It's what we want, right? So on the other side of that, not just walking in the light, what I'm going to say is when somebody's walking in the light with you, let's be gracious. Let's foster this culture that John's talking about here. This leads us to our third and final point. Acknowledgement and confession of sin are marks of a life that is walking in the light. Verse 80 says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
Now, some people that John was writing to at this time were actually sort of teaching people that, that you could live a life that would be free from sin, that you could, you could spend a majority of part of your life without actually ever disobeying the Lord in any way. That, that was something that was taught, and I would say in some ways it still sort of gets passes down, and it, and it looks like different things. And, and I've actually encountered this. I don't know if you have. I've actually encountered people only a couple times in the last 20 years who, who would say that. Now, they would say personally they've never experienced it, but that's what they were, they were hoping to do, that they were hoping to actually live a long part of their life without actually ever sinning. But that's just not true, okay? It's just, it's not true. Or as John would say, they are deceived and the truth is not in those who actually think that they can live a sinless life this side of heaven. Scripture is very clear that we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. It also teaches us that Christ died for our sins, paid the penalty for our sins, broke the power of sin over us, but sin still remains in our lives and it seeks to influence pretty much everything we do, including me preaching this message this morning and you listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth. That's just, that's just how it works. It has no power over you if you're a Christian, but it's just there and it's going to be there until either you die or Christ returns and ushers us into heaven. That, that's just a reality. Heaven is the only place that we will ever live where there will be no sin. This means that we all sin. And we wrestle with the remaining effects of sin in our lives. And we'll do this for the rest of our lives here on earth. So now that I said that, I'd like to say this, do not be deceived. And it's really not me, I'm just kind of trying to quote John here. Don't be deceived. You are a sinner who sins. You may be a forgiven sinner who is trusting in Jesus Christ, but if you're still breathing, and I think all of you are today, this means that you have sin in your life. See, John doesn't want us to be deceived. Do not think that sin does not exist in your life because it does. Now, I don't think any of us would say that we could actually live a life without sin, but here's where I think our problem is or the things that we have to wrestle with. I think we have a temptation to minimize our sin or ignore our sin instead of owning it by calling it something else rather than sin at times. We like to ignore sins that we think are just sort of socially acceptable or even small in comparison to others. We, we highlight big sins, like, you know, killing somebody. We'll also call that sin, right? But we don't like to call frustration and ignoring people the same thing. And I'm not saying there's a difference. Taking somebody's life and a husband getting mad at his wife and just ignoring her for 24 hours. Well, I'm saying that's a sin too. I think our temptation is just to say, yeah, I can confess that if I ever did that. But, but think about how many times are you confessing these other things? Or just allowing for them just to kind of remain in your marriage 
or remain in your parenting or just sort of remain in your life because they haven't reached a level that, that you would deem as an, as an appropriate level for that sin to be confessed. And so you allow for frustrations to remain because you didn't kill somebody. Or you allow for gossip and slander to sort of infiltrate your family or infiltrate your, your friendships because you're close friends and that's okay. Even though the Bible says, no, that's not okay. Because that's actually a corrupting word that comes out of your mouth and it actually destroys people. See, we have this temptation where, where we all sort of have these pet little sins that haven't raised to this level where we think we should confess it. So instead of actually confessing it, we just let it sort of lay there. And it just sort of lingers. And we're okay with it because we make friends with it. We don't call it sin. And what John is saying is you're just deceived. Kind of walking in darkness when you have a God who is light and he's called you to walk in the light. So let me ask you this question. This is kind of like big picture. How often do you find yourself just confessing sin to God and to others? Think about that. How aware of you are of just your own sins? Do you have a category for it in your life? Do you live most of your life as if sin doesn't really exist in your life? Do you find yourself really good at pointing out other people's sins, but having a hard time coming up where you actually sin? If you're having a hard time answering some of these questions, I just, I just recommend maybe just talk to your spouse. Or ask your kids, they'll help you. They're really good at that. Or just ask some friends. Or Josiah's really good at it too. He helps me a lot. Raise your hands so they know where you're at. There he is. See, we all sin a lot. More than we probably would like to admit at times. And if you think otherwise, John would say you're just deceived. Just deceived. But the good news, and there is good news. Verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is good news. It's an invitation. Don't hide it. Confess it. Because the God who is light is faithful and just and he forgives us of our sins. Such good news. Such good news. Douglas O'Donnell writes the following. He says, if there is anything that we are to say, it is not that we have no sin, but rather that we are full of sin from head to heart and tail to toes. And therefore, I'm sorry, please forgive me. The Lord loves to forgive. We sing about it. We love to sing about it. We love to rejoice in it. And in reality, I think we all know that we, we sin. And I think living in the good of the gospel is just being very aware that we have a faithful God who is faithful and just. And he's inviting us, bring these things out into the light. He already sees them all. He knows them all. And I'm kind of letting the secret out of the bag. If you think that, that people are perfect, that's just not true. But John's trying to help us see. We, we all have a sin problem, but we have a greater Savior. Paid the penalty for them all. Let's live in the good of that. 
Let's be people who confess, bring things out into the light, and receive this forgiveness from God regularly. See, the Christian life is not about just confessing our sins at the beginning. It's about living a life of just confession and repentance and faith day after day after day, trusting in a good and gracious God. John closes by saying, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's not make him a liar. Let's not make him a liar. Let's trust in Jesus. Let's walk in the light. Let's pick up that cross. Let's not pretend to be people we're not. We have a great sin problem, but we have an even better Savior. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, expose where we're being hypocrites, where we're not walking in the light, not trusting you. Lord, give us the strength and the courage, Lord, to confess sin and receive mercy, receive forgiveness afresh, that assurance that we have a great Savior who paid the penalty for all of our sin. Lord, let us not be okay with the smallest of sins in our lives. And Lord, may there just be a culture of repentance and faith here. Lord, I pray that you would surprise and delight us with this good news as we seek to obey you. Trusting in Jesus for everything, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, As you leave, may the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit, and may you experience his peace and abundance.